G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. Deuteronomy 4, this ancient Old Testament passage from the dim, dark days of Moses, some 1300 years before Jesus. That's nearly three and a half thousand years ago. Um, Deuteronomy 4. But as it was read to us, it is actually a pretty clear message, isn't it? From Deuteronomy 4, that passage at least, I thought, is fairly, it hits you in the opening words. Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and laws that I'm about to teach you, follow them. And it keeps that tenor all the way through. Pay attention, listen up, make sure you hear it all clearly, O Israel, listening to Moses preach to you on the edge of the promised land, the words of God. And then, having heard them, do it, follow it, get on and do them. Um, Don't let yourselves become these all-hearing but do-nothing hypocrites. Follow these words. Now, as as we're going to see, I hope, um, there's a sense in which the application that bubbles up for us today from that passage is largely as simple as that. Uh, It's fairly straightforward. But before we pray, can we please look at the stakes, the stakes that are on view there in Deuteronomy? What lies at stake for the people of Israel? Did you catch that as it was read to us, I wonder? With what force or what threat, what carrot perhaps, or what stick is... um, Uh, hanging over the people. Take a look there in verse 3 with me of Deuteronomy chapter 4, if you've got it on your lap. Um, And perhaps we glossed over it as it was read to us because it was a little bit odd sounding. Um, Verse 3, what is at stake for God's people in deciding whether or not to hear and hold on to and heed and follow and obey this word from God or to let it go? Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 3, You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor, but all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. Uh, What happened at Peor? And who is this Baal, uh, this false god, in this place, Peor. When did all this happen? See, Moses reminds the people of Israel about this this time of shipwreck in the faith of God's people, um, or the generation um, that's immediately preceded the people there. Uh, some of it's pretty memorable, actually, and I suspect many of us, even if our minds aren't kind of managing to claw back from our memories, the particulars, like we've just got the wrong... It, it, I reckon you probably, let me tell you the story and you'll pick it up and you go, oh yes, that one. Uh, see, some of it's very memorable. You might recall uh, the time when the Moabite king, Balak, wanted the hordes of Israel wiped out, all right? He saw these hordes of Israel um, marching around his land, Moab, and he saw them as a threat. So Balak, the Moabite king, wanted them wiped out. And so he hired Balaam. Do you remember that name? Balaam, this kind of spiritist, uh, medium witch doctor kind of character to call down a curse 
on Israel, that'll sort them out. Uh, but God undermined Balaam, this false priest, spiritist, medium character. Uh, and the message was, you cannot turn heaven against God's own people. All right. So God would have none of it turned Balaam's curse around into a blessing. Uh, no. So the way, do you, do you remember though, the way that Moab then managed to get underneath Israel's skin, managed to shipwreck their faith anyway, it wasn't to turn the gods against them. Do you remember the story? It was far less spiritual, far less, uh, far more normal, but no less dramatic. From Numbers 25, I'll read it to you. Numbers 25, after the Balak and Balaam thing failed, while Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate and bowed down before these gods, so Israel joined in worshipping the Baal of Peor and the Lord's anger burned against them. Burned against them to the tune of 24,000 people dying in a plague, plus others put to death besides. Now, why start with this weird story? It's simply to say this, when Israel heard the call to hear the word of the Lord, hear now, O Israel, and, and heed it, follow it, do it, pay attention, put it into practice, Moses would have them remember two things at that very time. Firstly, the stakes for hearing were quite literally life and death and had been in their history. And secondly, that the things that get under their skin and that drive a wedge between them and God, erode their faith, shipwreck them in the end and evoke the anger of the Lord, may not be the obvious spiritual kind of snares that you might imagine. Put it this way, next time you're sitting on a plane, while it taxis out to the end of the runway, next time you're sitting on a plane uh, as a, at the start of your flight, next time the flight attendants line up, you can see them there down the centre aisle and get ready for their safety demonstration... If I could guarantee to you that your plane that day was going to crash, was going to go down hard, guarantee it, my hunch is we'd listen a bit differently. Do you see? I'd be listening to exactly where my, um, I've forgotten the word, um, life jacket was stowed. I'd know, I'd be able to tell you. I'd be listening to exactly which order I'm supposed to do the oxygen mask in, my kids or mine, you already know the answer to that one. The stakes, hear and follow, the stakes, life and death. How about we pray as we come to Deuteronomy chapter 4, let's pray. God in heaven, God of all the earth, may we learn today please, not simply to hear your word, as if it's from one voice among many in our lives, another advice giver, like a friend, we hear their advice, we follow it if we want, we ignore it if we don't. God, would you please grant us clarity to hear your word as God's word to us today? And so may I preach it faithfully with um, the due care and conviction and clarity, but may we all together respond as you'd have us, whatever that looks like in our varied lives here this morning. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me tell you where we're heading, right from the get-go. The word that we desperately need to hear and follow and hold forth 
and hand on, the word that we desperately need to hear and heed is the word of God's love to us in Jesus Christ. It's the section that Amelia read to us um, earlier. He, Jesus, is where life and death hang in the balance in the big picture. Life positively, real life, um, full life, eternal life, the good life, no, not necessarily the easy life, but the good life on the one hand, and real death, eternal and fearsome, um, hollow, divorced from God, heading for disintegration, life and death. The word that you and I need so desperately to hear and to heed this morning and hold forth and hand on is the word of God's love to us in Jesus Christ with the stakes of life and death on view. Dramatic. Uh, Now, how do I make that leap, just incidentally, in case you're uh, wondering, how do I get from Moses and Deuteronomy and hear now, O Israel, to us today, hear the message of Jesus and and, and, um, and to us today? Um, And in your Bible reading, do you ever have this conundrum? Do you read your Old Testament perhaps sometimes and sort of wonder, how on earth, how am I supposed to get to me today? How am I supposed to make that leap, bridge that gap? between what happened 1,300 years before Jesus and now 2,000 years after him? How can we bridge the gap and find the Jesus lesson in this sermon preached to Israel on the plains of Moab as they looked over the Promised Land? Do you see the conundrum? Do you have that regularly in your own Bible reading? What we need to remember, friends, the consistent message of the New Testament, which is that the Old Testament now stands not as God's law over us, but always as God's word to us. The Old Testament no longer stands as God's law over us, but it will always remain God's word to us. So as Paul says in Romans 6, we are not under the law, meaning the Old Testament law. It's not God's law over us as Christians. So God's law, his commands, the prophet's instructions like Moses here in Deuteronomy, even the ones hear and follow and hold forth and hand on, or even the next chapter, the Ten Commandments, or even all the laws that follow in Deuteronomy that we won't get to this year, we'll get to them in subsequent years. They are not laws over us, as though we were God's people standing on the plains of Moab looking at at, at needing a law as we went into the Promised Land. Uh, and yet they remain God's word to us. Not God's law over us, but still God's word to us. And so these words, what do they do? They inform our sense of the God that we meet in Christ. They enlarge, don't they, our imagination of what the Christian life is to be about. They expand our view of God's glory and character and majesty and history no longer God's law over us, but always and forever God's word for us and to us and for our salvation. Long introduction. Anyway, let's come to the text. With that in mind, Deuteronomy chapter 4, let's hear the call of this passage as it was to them, a law to them just over the Jordan River as they looked over the promised land. And I think we hear three calls to those people of the day. Hear this word to be practiced, number one. Hear this word to be paraded, number two. And hear this word to be passed on, practiced, paraded, passed on. Take a look with me, verse 1, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and laws that I'm about to teach you. 
This is Moses speaking to Israel. Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. Verse 5 is similar, skip down there. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may do what? Follow them in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully. Hear and so practice. Um, The God that we meet in Moses' words here, he leaves us no doubt as to who calls the shots. Follow them so that you may live. (laughs) So that you may live. Uh, He leaves little room for any preacher to presume to dress up his own words as or preferences or prejudices as God's word, doesn't he? Add nothing, subtract nothing, my words and that's it, the end. And he closes the door on hollow religious hypocrisy. Hear and so follow, observe carefully. I remember, um, I remember reading a, a kid's book um, do you have this experience sometimes? You go into Coorong, you know, the Christian bookshop in town, uh, because it's someone's birthday coming up and you stand at the shelves. Now, in this particular occasion, I was standing at the shelves. I mean, as if we're going to be able to figure out whether a book is worth giving to a friend by standing in front of the shelves and trying to read hurriedly in the sort of few minutes before we're hassled by the... Um, not hassled, they're helped, they're lovely in there. Anyway, uh, you know what I mean. So I'm standing in Coorong trying to find a, um, a, a present a gift for one of my children's friends uh, and the book in my hands, I wonder if you have this one or know this one, Webster the Preacher Duck. Webster, there it is! Ah, Felicity, Webster the Preacher Duck. Now I've got to say, it is a terrible kid's book but it has a wonderful message. Now, if you've got it on your shelf and you're now going, what terrible kid's book? Um, it's all right, let me explain. All right, I think it is a terrible kid's book, but it has a wonderful message. Here's the story. So the ducks um, on the pond, they roll out of bed on Sunday morning and they waddle up onto the shore Sunday morning. They're church-going ducks. Um, so they waddle their way to church. They waddle into their pew and they sit down, and then comes Webster, ah, Webster, the preacher, and his message of the morning is this, let me quote it to you, praise the Lord who created the wing, they're all ducks, you see, so they've all got wings, praise the Lord who created the wing, the Lord wants ducks high in the sky, and so he gave us wings so we can fly. Right, and there's Webster. He's even got rhyming in command. Marvellous. Uh, and the ducks, the congregation, they love it. They lap this stuff up. Webster's words, just marvellous. Oh, we'll, we'll fly to the moon. Imagine the formations that we can fly in together. It'll be symphonies out there uh, for us. Forget about wobbling. We'll go up, up and away. This is the kind of language of these ducks in church on Sunday morning. The Lord wants ducks high in the sky, so he gave us wings so we can fly. And they're, they're behind him. Yes, amen. Hallelujah, Webster. Preach it. And then this crazy thing's hap- thing happens in the story. 
And this is why it's a terrible kid's book, um, because toddlers do not get irony, all right? It is lost on them entirely. So this crazy thing happens at the door of Duck Church. Now, let me read it to you. Uh, the scene is they're, they're filing out past Webster, shaking his hands, Sunday morning, straight after the sermon. Here it is. Then at the door, the ducks all say, thank you for your sermon today. Inspiration, food for thought, powerful message, so well taught. You made us laugh, you made us cry, you touched our hearts, you made us sigh. Well, must be off, can't stop and speak. Thank you, Rev, see you next week. Then all the ducks, wings tucked in, stretched out their legs and they begin to waddle along down past the perch, waddle up the hill away from church, waddle around the dog, how their feet ache, waddle, waddle, waddle back to the lake. It's awful, isn't it? Of course, there are really two problems with the book. The first is that the irony is completely lost on kids. So if you've got this book at home, little pro tip here, um, toddlers would hear that, would read that as an instruction book of how to completely ignore sermons at church. <laughs> Please never read it. No, if you do read it, because it is a marvellous little book, just explain it to them. Explain what's going on, explain the tragedy, and then the book is redeemed and it's worthwhile. Um, the, the second problem... It's not really about Webster the preacher duck at all, is it? It's about an attitude to God's Word, a receipt of God's Word. It's what threatens the people of Israel and Moses was directly trying to counter. Uh, It's really a book about God's Word. The preacher is irrelevant. My words are irrelevant. Add nothing, subtract nothing. The question is, will we hear and practice God's Word? He is God to be heard, not just kind of hallelujahed um, in church and then forgotten about as we waddle um, back home. Hear and so practice. Secondly, hear and so parade. First five, come with me. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully for... This will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near to us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws that I'm setting before you today? Let's come back to that um, in a little moment, but a word to be so lived that it is effectively parading, not just a people, but parading our God to the watching world. He's near and he's righteous, he's wise um, and all the rest. So um, here and so practice, here and so parade, here and so pass on. Um, verse 9, come with me there, only be careful and watch yourselves. Actually, the, the language there is, is quite strong. So one commentator reckons verse 9 should, he says, a stronger translation of this line would be, 
be extremely careful to guard your souls from forgetting. Okay, so just spot the strengths of, of language there. It's interesting though how guarding your souls from forgetting, the best way to do that is to get on and teach it. Let's have a look here from verse 9. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. Do you realise it's good for your soul, it's good for your faith, it's good for your growth, it's a mark of a healthy church to be bending our gifts towards passing on the message. I actually neglected to tell you something about Webster, dear old Webster, uh, the kids' book. The closing scene, it's got this really heavy message. Uh, Now, I just want to ask in advance, Felicity, have you got this slide of the last... No, that's fine, that's totally fine. Uh, I just figured if you did have it, I wouldn't describe it, Um, but that's that's fine. Let Let me paint the picture for you, though. The last page of Webster the Preacher Duck, there's no words on there, but it's this kind of... I think it's this almost chilling message to parents who are reading the book. Um, uh, let me describe it to you. So it's Sunday evening, Sunday evening, and uh, the parents, the grown-ups in the story, no doubt with their weary feet from waddling, are asleep on the bank of the lake. They're dozing, napping there, but not the kids. The kids are lined up on a log together and their eyes are bright and wide because something has captured their imagination, something in the distance has caught their eye, something up in the sky has enthralled them for in the distance up in the sky they can see the good life, they can see the life that they were made for, they can see possibility, they can see something that they long for within their very selves while mum and dad are napping on the shore. Can you guess what it is? Against the sunset, high above them there, a flock of ducks are flying by, do you see? Silhouetted against the sunset, inspiring these young duck minds. The Lord wants ducks high in the sky and so he gave us wings so we can fly. See, Israel were to so guard their souls from forgetting so practice what they preached and so faithfully follow God's good and wise ways that their kids wouldn't have to look off into the distance to see what the good life was, to see how they were designed to live, like some strange and wondrous silhouette. They learned it in the home. They heard it in the home. They saw it in their parents' That was how it was to be for Israel. And I take it in the ancient way of community life that it wasn't just the parents. Uh, You know, they're saying it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a church to raise a child, doesn't it? Hear and so practice. Hear and so parade him. Hear and so pass it on. Now, with those themes in mind, those characteristics uh, expanding our uh, view of God. Can we come please to 1 John, 1 John, and we're going to conclude here in 1 John chapter, chapter 1 actually, 
1 John chapter 1, if you're following along on your lap in the New Testament. One John chapter one in the New Testament, and I'd like to just um, just move us here with a simple point that Jesus was always the word that Deuteronomy was driving us toward to be able to hear properly. He is the word, always has been, always will be. One John chapter one. Have you got it there on your lap now? One John chapter one, verse one. Uh, just notice the way he roots Jesus into the, the, the whole history of God's work in the world, that which was from the beginning. Do you see it rooted in history there? That which was from the beginning, writes John, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we've seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. He's describing Jesus. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So from there, I just want to make this simple point that ultimately the word to be heard, the word that we today, that you desperately need to hear and hold forth and heed and hand on is the word of God's love to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's Jesus that we need to proclaim. Seen and heard and so proclaimed, says John. It's Jesus that we need to parade to the world. Now, I think on that particular front, I think sometimes we get to thinking that we're supposed to be known for our love. Doesn't Jesus himself say that in John's Gospel, uh, which is true, but that that love somehow is supposed to just happen within us. But no, the section that Amelia read to us before in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, this is how we know what love is, isn't it? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So we parade, hear the word and practice it, hear the word and parade it. We parade only the love that we know, the love of Jesus for us. He becomes our pattern. He becomes our law in that sense, a law of love. But let's conclude where we began. How is Jesus described there in verse 1? Take a look there, verse 1. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. What's at stake for ourselves and for our neighbours and for our community, for our children for that matter, for our colleagues and classmates? What's at stake is the difference between sitting on a log in a dark lake and flying with wings outstretched and the sun's bright rays on our backs. What's at stake in the gospel of Jesus is nothing less than the word of life. Too often I think we only see the dark side of that. You know, it's life and death, (laughs) eternal life and judgment. You know what I mean? And we emphasise the dark. But what we're to hear and hold forth and hand on is the word of life that Christ laid down his life for us, to give us life. That's what we're to embody in our marriage. 
for instance, that Jesus laid down his life for us. That's what we're to hold forth in our friendships, the eternal life which which was with the Father and has appeared to us. In our church life, do we model for one another, extend to one another the word of life or is sometimes our tone more the sentence of death? But even in the privacy of our own heads, perhaps our bedrooms or our cars or just our thoughts, the word of life. Be extremely careful to guard your souls from forgetting. The image I'd like to leave you with is those, um, those wide-eyed ducklings, if I may, gazing at something that has captured their imagination, whether or not mum and dad seem to actually believe it. Because remember, that was the situation for the Israelites, wasn't it? Do you remember in their situation back there, 1,300 years before Jesus came along, that was their situation. Remember, mum and dad, for them, had failed. Had failed to enter the promised land, failed to see God for the rock that he was for them and the call for that new generation was to hear and heed, hear and hold on, hear and hold out and uh, hear and um, hand on. So to you, whoever you are here today, the word I want to say that you desperately need to hear and heed, hold forth and hand on is the word of God's love for you in Christ Jesus, and I guess I'd love for us, love, sorry, for us to think about how that might look in your life today. How about we pray together? Now, Father God in heaven, we want to recognise today your, your genius and your generosity, because as, as we look back, we see these great currents in history that reveal your character in ingenious ways through the history of your people but we also see your generosity we see your grace because your word is a word of life to us father may we receive it this very day with that gravity coupled with joy that should always characterize your people but may we also please spread out our wings to put on sacrificial love, that missionary love of Jesus on display in each of our little lives. May that be the flying high that people see in our lives, that our children see, that the children of this congregation see, that the community around us sees. God, may we do um, um, as you have called us to in the gospel. We pray particularly for the younger ones in our church community, Uh, We readily admit, Father, that we are far from perfect and in that sense we know that we have let them down. We've had opportunities to hand the word on to them and chosen not to for whatever reason. And and not just with our biological kids either, but we share in this together, O God. Lord, would you please raise up amongst us a generation after us, yes, through us, and in a sense in spite of us with regard to our failings, may they be captivated by the word of life and by your spirit and go on in the Lord for themselves to hear and heed and hold forth and hand on. God, work amongst us all, would you please, for your glory's sake, we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.